Today we are honored to have a guest speaker with us. Actually, he is one of us, but he's never uh, spoken here before, and so uh, he's a guest speaker for us. And uh, he and his family have been attending here for about a year and a half. Uh, They recently became members of the church, and uh, Obadiah has uh, led a number of discussions in my uh, home group, and I've always been very impressed with his leading, just his uh, depth of knowledge of the scriptures and just the depth of the discussions that he's led. Uh, he is a professional communicator. He is the morning host and program director for Radio U, 88.7, on your, AM, or your FM dial. And uh, he's a former youth pastor. He is a a Star Wars fan, a huge Star Wars fan. He is just an all-around interesting and great guy, and he must have told them he wanted special lighting when he came up here because the lighting has changed. Uh, so open your hearts, and it continues to change. Uh, all righty. Good luck with this, Obadiah. Uh, so just open your hearts and receive what God wants to say to us today through the ministry of Obadiah Haben. Uh, Brian has made me sound a lot cooler than I actually am. Uh, this morning I had breakfast at McDonald's uh, and I went in and I met a girl named Adida. Adida was working behind the counter and she goes really look familiar. And I said, well, my name's Obadiah and I work for Radio U. Oh, Obadiah, I love your show. And we talked for a couple of minutes and uh, I was reasonably secure in the fact that Adida probably didn't spit on my McGriddle, which was a plus. Um, and then I walked away and like, if you guys ever been in Pataskal McDonald's, you like walk around the corner to get your drink and I'm standing there and I hear the other guy go, who was that? And she told him, and he goes, well, when Dave and Jimmy walk in, I'll be impressed, so whatever. (laughs) And if you ever think to yourself, man, he must have a real problem with pride, only for about 10 to 15 seconds at a time, because someone always follows it up with a great zinger to make me feel a lot less important than I thought I was seconds before. Um, If you are a first-time attender or visitor today, I do want to, before I get started, encourage you really sincerely to come back next week um, because this is as bad as it's going to get right here. So you really shouldn't judge what we do by what happens today. Give it one more week. And after next week, I won't know what to tell you, but this week, it's kind of a bye week. We'll see how it goes, okay? Um, I want to, this morning, do something that my wife won't let me do. I want to show my vacation slideshow. I went on a trip, and I came back, and I was excited, and she said no. And so now that I have a completely captive audience, I'm going to share my vacation pictures with you. Yay! (laughs) That's my favorite part of visiting friends. Um, I went to Washington, D.C. Actually, let me back up a little bit. You guys know because I am a, a radio personality, sometimes people pay me to DJ their wedding. I don't recommend that. I think the last thing that you probably want is to give me a microphone at your wedding event. But they were willing to do this. In fact, they brought me like seven hours away. They were in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., and their names were Shannon and Jaden. And it was August 24th, 2012. And they invited me to come. And I got to tell you, honestly, I don't really like weddings. Um, I liked one wedding. It was mine. (laughs) 
And then after that, I became even more outspoken about how much I didn't like to go to weddings. But then something magical happened. People started paying me to come to their weddings. And then all of a sudden, I really liked weddings again. (laughs) There was only one small problem is that once you find out you can get paid to go to a wedding, when they are not paying you, you really, really don't want to (laughs) go. So yes, they paid me and I came to their wedding. And I will tell you for all the girls in the audience who are single now, maybe you have a fiance, and you're thinking, I knew it. All men hate weddings. He doesn't know our colors. He doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't actually care about me. It's not entirely true, but I have the answer. Now, I don't know if it was Shannon or Jaden that figured this out, but let me tell you what they did. I'm in the reception hall, and I'm setting up before things get started. I've got the DJ thing. I'm doing whatever. And the caterers come in. And they're setting up those things, you know, the things that you put the stuff in to keep it warm. And I notice that the lady that's doing the things has got a Chick-fil-A polo on. And I was just like, that's odd. She must have forgotten to change when she was coming from her other job. (laughs) And then I walked over there, and as she was lifting the thing, I noticed that that entire container was full of waffle fries. And I just about lost my mind. <laughs> there was actually a little stack of, uh, what do they call it, their sauce? The Chick-fil-A sauce. Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, they had like that. And then it was just, we were just getting started. They start setting up more stuff. The Chinese food people got there. And then the pizza delivery guy came in. <laughs> they had food from their three favorite restaurants. And I want you to know that all of a sudden, I was back in. I was on board the wedding thing, dude. Tell me how I can go to weddings where this happens. So ladies, if you're planning that special event, you don't think it's a good idea, but I really think that you should put guys in charge of the menu because they're going to light right up just like I did. So at the event, I had this great idea. I'm all the way out in Maryland. I'm about... 45 minutes away from downtown Washington, D.C. So I start asking around. I said, hey, guys, I think I would like to go downtown and run the mall. Now, I've worn my baggy clothes today. I've got my Star Wars Christmas sweater on. And I've done this because I don't want anybody to struggle when you see my amazingly athletic physique. Despite this, that's a joke. I know I'm fat. Look, I still go running, okay? I still do that, even though you can't see the results. And so I wanted to go run the mall in downtown D.C. And everybody's like, oh, it's a runner's paradise. There's water fountains everywhere. You should totally do it. So the mall is about four and a half to five miles long, something like that. So I drove into a train station. I took the train into downtown Washington, D.C. I got off the train in one of those train stations that you totally know you've seen it in a movie, but you can't remember what it's called. I was in one of those. And I got up, and I ran up to the Capitol. And you can see there, I don't know why, I really <laughs> I wanted to have a rocky moment at the Capitol where I ran up the stairs right towards the rotunda and... You know, the thing is closed. You weren't allowed to run up those steps. But I, I got kind of close. I took that picture, and then I turned around, and I took this other picture. Now, this is what the actual mall looks like from where you're at. That's the Washington Monument, and then you've got the Lincoln Memorial uh, beyond that. So you run 
about a mile or so, and you end up by the Washington Memorial, which is a great place for you to take these wonderful selfies like I did. See, there I am holding up the Washington Memorial, and everyone was very grateful that I did that. Standing next to the Washington Memorial, I kind of figured something out. Washington, D.C. is the Las Vegas of the 1800s. What do you mean? Go to Vegas. They got the Statue of Liberty. They've got the Eiffel Tower. They've got a pyramid. Our founding fathers filled Washington, D.C. with a burial monument to Egyptian pharaohs. (laughs) That's actually what that is. It's kind of weird, but whatever. So I continued my run through the Las Vegas of the free world, and I found myself in front of Abe Lincoln. Yay, Abe Lincoln. And uh, I took my picture with him. It was all selfies. I was there alone. People don't like to travel with me that much. And uh, then I took another picture. Let me show it to you. There it is. That's the Lincoln Memorial. It's really impressive, huh? You know what's weird about the Lincoln Memorial? Do you know that it's a replica of a Greek temple? It's weird, guys. We're supposed to be this country that wanted to get free of kings and whatever, and so we build these monuments? I don't know. Now, look, I love America and stuff, but I had this real weird moment. I thought the Lincoln Memorial was creepy, And I know everybody gives me the same look that you're giving me right now. It's fine to think it sounds weird. I get it. I think it's weird when I tell it, but I'm just being honest. Uh, It was this weird thing to just be running along in Washington, D.C. and run up to a Greek temple like that. Um, And so I stopped in front of this temple, and I really felt like God was talking to me when I I got to this spot. And uh, I felt like he just stopped me and showed it to me. Like, hey, look, this is a temple. This is the way that ancient Greeks would worship their gods. Now, let's talk a little bit about the way ancient Greeks believed things. Anybody ever watch Xena, Hercules, that one person in the back? Okay, good. You guys are really connecting with me. This is great. Um, So here was the idea with the Greeks, all right? They'd have these temples, and inside the temple, like I had my picture taken with Abraham Lincoln, well, they would have a statue of their god, right? And so here was the idea. They believed that their gods, most of them, but not all of them, most of them lived on a place called Mount Olympus, right? To them, it was a real physical place. The gods would be hanging up, out up there, and they would look down, and they would look at their temple and maybe see somebody. So your hope as an ancient Greek person would be, all right, I'm going to travel all these miles, I'm going to go all this way. I'm going to get in this temple. I really, really hope that Apollo is watching today. And your hope was you bring in your offering and you lay it down. The Greek God might be looking at that very moment. And maybe Bob the Greek would get the help he needed with whatever the Bob the Greek needed on that particular day. And that's the way that people interacted with their God. Their God wasn't around. It wasn't anything. Now, as modern people, we think that sounds ridiculous because we're like, oh, man, we've been to space. There ain't no Mount Olympus. I ain't seen it nowhere. These people don't know what they're talking. What a bunch of morons the ancient people. (laughs) They're so stupid, Uh, but I'm so smart. That's kind of the way we think about ancient people, right? Well, here's the thing. As American Christians, we kind of even will say like, all right, The ancient Greeks were dumb, but like the Israelites, at least, they had it completely together. Here's the thing. 
The way that Israel interacted with God in a lot of ways is the way that the ancient Greeks would interact with their gods. They believed that God had a physical spot in the skies that they would call the kingdom of heaven or heaven or whatever, and that that's where he lived. And then he had a place on earth, one place where his spirit hung out, all right? It was in the temple in Jerusalem. There was that one place where his spirit hung out. And people from Israel would travel this great, great distance, just like the the Greeks would, and they would go to this temple. Now, one of the amazing things that separates the ancient Israelites from the ancient Greeks is, one, they worshiped a living God. They always made a big point about that. And you know what? Their God was super specific. You are not going to build any statues of me. He absolutely would not allow people to reduce his likeness of any kind to some kind of an image. He just wouldn't have it. In fact, he was so amazing that if you go back into Exodus, when he's really introducing himself to the children of Israel, Moses is like, look, uh, guy, everyone is going to want to know who you are. What should I tell them? And he said, well, you can tell them I am sent you. I am what? (laughs) That's enough. I am was all that God needed. He was different than the God of the ancient Greeks. But again, they would go to this temple of I am, and they knew that his spirit was there. It was hanging out a couple of curtains away from where they were, but they knew that God's spirit was in there. In fact, God's spirit rested in that place so much, but it was so secluded that only one time a year, one guy from one family would get to go back there and offer this sin offering. And so we can see that Zechariah, it was his time to do it in the Christmas story, right? So they're like, all right, you get to go back there and offer the offering. This is super exciting. You're going to stand in front of the spirit of God. Now we're going to put these bells on you. And we're going to put this little rope on you. And if the bells stop ringing, we're going to pull you out by the rope because sometimes when people get in front of God, they just die. (laughs) But let's not talk about that seriously. Congratulations. (laughs) You get to go in and see God this year. (laughs) Wee! (laughs) Doesn't sound like the lottery you necessarily want to win, but it was a huge, huge honor for them to get to do that. Now, again, when we, in our modern context, look back on some of this stuff, We look back on it from a perspective of like, huh, yeah, I already know everything. I don't need this, whatever. You got to understand what a big deal it was and how difficult it was for an ancient person to make contact with God. Whether they were an Israelite or they were a Greek, they had to really go a long way to make the contact with God. And this was the stuff that God and I were talking about on this temple. Look at it. you walk these long things and then you climb a lot of stairs. It's actually more than it really looks like in the picture. And then you walk this other way and climb more stairs. And then there's another platform. And it really felt like something that was designed to humble me, to make me feel small when I walked up to that place. And make no mistake, we want visiting foreign leaders to think Abraham Lincoln is big and feel small. But look, these people were doing this about God. And here's where it gets crazy. Taking this tiny slice of knowledge of ancient life that we've talked about today, now let's talk about the manger. Think about this. God 
is born in a physical form. These people have never seen God before. He takes on flesh. He is not born in Rome. He's not born in Caesar's palace. That's where you and I would expect him to be born, but he's not, right? Instead, he's born in Jerusalem in the king's palace. No. Instead, he's born in the temple. No. Instead, he's born in Bethlehem, nowheresville. And he's born in one of the finest hotels that they have. No. He's born out in the barn. The people that get the invitation, Caesar gets the invitation. Nope. The kings, nope. The priests, nope. A bunch of smelly dudes out on the side of a hill get a heavenly notice. God actually sends angels to some of the weirdest people that you can think of. At your family dinner, your Uncle Shepherd would be kind of the weird guy, all right? He spends all day out in the fields talking to sheep. Now, how good do you think his conversation skills actually are? Not amazing, I can tell you. (laughs) He doesn't know what it's like to smell good. He comes in. He's crazy. These are the people that when Jesus is born, these are the people that he brings in. And we've got to get a hold of that because now all of a sudden, these people who have had to go forever to make some kind of contact with the divine, the divine is born in their backyard in the most unlikely of places. Now, fast forward a little bit in the life of Jesus. This thing of him being born in a manger is not the first crazy thing that he does, right? He starts walking around and saying things that nobody's heard somebody say before. He starts telling them the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, where did these guys think the kingdom of God was? Way up there, all right? There's a little outpost They have an outpost of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem in the temple. And my parents say we're going to go there next year. But the kingdom of God's not here. I mean, maybe because we're Israel, children of maybe, but like, come on. But see, then he started showing people that it was. He started healing people. He started feeding people. People came in contact with love when they came in contact with Jesus that they had never encountered before. Because again, they have never had this one-on-one contact with the divine, like they're getting through Jesus. People followed him around because the kingdom was real and Jesus was bringing it and people were blown away by it. They didn't have to go far. The kingdom had come to them where they were. They didn't have to climb stairs and hope for the best. The kingdom was right there where they were. It's incredible. But here's the thing. Jesus is not done yet. It's weird, kind of. Jesus gets all his guys together, right? All the disciples for Passover. They're in Jerusalem. He's kind of been in hiding. He's had a couple of big moments, but now he's hiding out because he knows what's going to happen. Jesus is going to die, and he knows it's coming. And so he starts telling his disciples this, and their their reaction is, nah, bro, no, Uh uh-uh, no, that's not going to happen. Because what they expect is Jesus is going to set up a kingdom like you and I think. He's going to have a crown and a really cool robe and like stuff. But that stuff is not the kind of king that Jesus was. See, Jesus was already king. (laughs) They just weren't getting it. His kingdom was right there with them already. But even we struggle with that sometimes, right? So they're up there. They're in that big room. And he starts telling them things. He tells them all kinds of stuff. He tells them, you guys are not my servants anymore. You're my friends because I'm going to tell you everything. 
Think about how many times we're like, oh, I just want to serve God. I'm a servant. I'm whatever. God actually looks at you and says, you're my friend, and I'm sharing the run of the house with you. He actually brings you into his family. It's amazing. So he starts telling him all these things. And then he says to me, I feel like one of what had to be for them one of the single most shocking things that Jesus says. In John 16, 7, which just, by the way, that stuff that Jesus talks to them about in the upper room, that's totally worth reading. It's like John 13 through 17, might be 12 through 17. You'll figure it out. But it's, it's amazing. Jesus is setting the stage for what's going to come next. All right? And in John 16, 17, he says this thing again that to me had to be shocking to these guys. Very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. What? You're leaving? You just got here. Man, are you telling me now we got to go back to going forever to the temple thing if we want to find God? No, this is the best it's ever been. Jesus, you can't go anywhere. And then he keeps going with this crazy stuff. He says, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, he calls him the advocate in the NIV. Lots of different translations will handle it differently. Some will say the counselor. One of my favorites is they call him the friend. Now, think about that. God is saying, or Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send a friend, and it's going to be better. These guys aren't buying into it. I wouldn't have bought into it either. He says, I have so much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. I really like, that's John 16, 12. I love it in the message, because here's what it says. I have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. God's going to come and hold my hand? God lives in the temple. God lives up there. God lives all this stuff. You're telling me God's going to be here and we're going to hold hands? I only hold hands with two people, maybe three, all right? My wife, my daughter who still lets me hold her hand probably for another three to four months. And then sometimes I'll hold hands with my mom, but not anymore because that's weird. I'm all grown up now. Who's going to do that? Hold hands with your parents. It's ridiculous. (laughs) You don't hold hands with very many people. You just don't. God is saying, I want us to be the kind of friends that we're going to hold hands, bro. (laughs) What? (laughs) Think about that. God wants to be such good friends with you that when he reaches out to grab your hand, it is going to be the most natural thing in the world. You'll just grab his hand too. Wow, that's incredible. That is mind-blowing. Especially, it's awesome to us, but think ancient people. God's been a billion miles away, and now he's going to be in the room holding my hand? What? Here's the thing. God wasn't even satisfied. God is very unsatisfied. He always gets to a point where you'll think like, all right, God, that's enough. This is enough. We've done enough, whatever. And he's like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep pushing on through. We are super hung up about Christmas, you know? Don't get me wrong. I love Christmas, Christmas sweater. It's the last gift-getting holiday I really have left in my life where people from far off are sending me things. I want to maintain that tradition 
for as long as possible. But the funny thing about it is, is that a lot of times we think that it all peaked at the manger. We think that it peaked right there. But here's the thing. It's, God's not done. Right here, what Jesus is saying is, all right, we went far, but I'm going even farther. What Jesus wants, and this is the big one. If you don't get anything I said, listen to this. What God actually wants is to take you and turn you into a manger. All right? Think, well, Obadiah, I'm smelly. (laughs) I work with the sheep all day, whatever. There's nobody so low that God is not interested in coming and living in your heart. It was impressive when Jesus was born in a manger and we got rid of the temple. God is not satisfied with the manger. God actually wants to live in your heart. See what I mean? He is pushy. Like he takes the good stuff and is like, I have even better than the good stuff. That's the way God works. You are going to be the temple. You are going to be the place where the spirit of God rests. You are going to be the person that God's love and mercy and compassion pour out of. You're going to be the place where God is meeting people. That's what he's going to do. God's going to meet people through you. Through the ancient times, people went to the temple to meet God. Well, guess what? People are going to be coming to you to meet God. That's amazing. And here's, you get two things out of this. First off, you don't need to go to the temple anymore. I mean, you come to church, but this is not the temple you are the temple. So you can talk to God anytime you want. Bathroom at school, I can talk to God. Back row of wherever, I can talk to God. Anytime you want about anything. Well, only the big stuff. No, gosh. All of it, everything, every single thing you can talk to him about. And here's the other great thing, is that he is going to use you to invite other people so that they can become the temple too. This is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. You becoming the manger. You becoming the temple. That's why Jesus came. Not so Santa could come, but so that you could receive the great gift that heaven has for you in a relationship with Jesus and in his Holy Spirit. This is what God has for you. So I'm going to ask the prayer ministry teams to come up. And here in just a second, I actually want you to... Take a minute and pray with me. Most of you probably already have a relationship with God, and I say, sweet. Some of you might not, and I want to give everybody a chance to start a relationship with God if you haven't yet. Just pray with me. Say, Jesus, I want to be the manger. I want to invite you into my life. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you to forgive me. I need you to save me. And I want to accept you. It's that simple to start a relationship with God. Let God put his spirit in your heart and live Christmas all year. Because every day, the spirit of God is resting in your heart. Now, I know that some of you have needs and concerns that don't have anything to do with what I talked about today. You know what? That's okay. Because remember when I said that God is, he's listening for everything, that there's no separation? Um, I want to give you a chance to come forward and pray this morning. And when we were visitors at Vineyard, the thing that blew us away more than 
anything in the whole deal was how you guys would always have people ready to pray with people. And there was such a willingness to go and talk to God about what was going on. And I just want to make sure that the holidays can be so tough for so many different reasons. If you've got something that you really need to talk to God about and you want other people to pray with you about it, I want to give you a chance to do that. So let's take a few minutes. And if you want to do that, the altar is always open for you guys, okay?